I think one thing that is certainly true is that technology and modern life has moved quicker than we've been able to adapt to it. I mean, one of the things that social media highlights for all of us is um, social comparison. You know, the night where you're laid on the on, on the sofa in your scruffy, tatty pyjamas and it's chucking it down outside and you're eating a packet of crisps and feeling a bit miserable, but you can <laughs> guarantee that all your friends are going to be either at a party or on a beach in Thailand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course they're not, but if you look at social media, it certainly seems that way. Yeah. And then what happens is then that encourages people to reflect on their own life and think, oh, well, maybe my life's a bit boring and crap and well, maybe I'm not good enough and everybody else is having a better time than me. This is Three People in Your Head, a podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others. Co-hosted by Matt Taylor and myself, John Fleming. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Mark Widdowson, who's a teaching and supervising transactional analyst in the psychotherapy field. He's also a university lecturer, a researcher, and a writer. Mark talks to us about his experience of using transactional analysis in psychotherapy and some of the research he's been involved in that validates TA's effectiveness. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. Uh, we would like to start by asking if you could give us a brief account of what you do currently, your roles, responsibilities, qualifications, that kind of thing. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Okay, then. So um, my main job is as a senior lecturer in psychotherapy and counselling at the University of Salford. That's, that's a sort of main nine-to-five job, as it were. As it's, I do, it does what it says on the tin. I, I mostly teach counseling psychotherapy, but I also get to do some, some quite interesting things, such as teaching about emotional intelligence and resilience to other healthcare professionals, such as nurses, midwives, radiographers, and so on. Um, and I also do a lot of work in, um, in the community with doing, with teaching a particular TA based package called psychological first aid, which is something that, that I developed myself. And that's currently being run out to around 10% of all Salford City Council staff and 10% of staff who work for the Northern Care Alliance, which is um, three major hospitals in the Greater Manchester area. So in addition to that, I also have um, a relatively small private practice. I see about six clients a week. Wow. Uh, and also the other thing I suppose that's probably worth mentioning that at the university that I do is I'm the clinic coordinator for our counseling psychotherapy clinic which is open to the public okay that's me that's my job you've got quite a lot on and you're also a trainer um you train and teach transactional analysis as well that's right yeah i mean i I, i'm not um a sort of permanent tutor trainer but i do a little bit quite a lot of teaching at the burn burn institute and that's where i did my training oh quite a long time ago and I've, i've never really gone away from that um, but a lot of my TA training tends to be um, around Europe, so I get to go to lots of nice places and, and meet lots of nice people and, and teach them about TA. Brilliant. And how long have you been involved with the university side of things, so the teaching? Uh, I've been working at Salford for six years now, but um, I've been in the TA world for um, nearly 25 years. Oh, really? And how did you first come across it? Well, when I was, I was originally, I originally trained in um, counselling, just general integrative counselling. Yeah. Um, starting in 1994. And we did a, a lecture on TA, and I remember being very excited about it and, and also a little bit shocked at how incredibly 
explain my entire life, really. <laughs> yeah. And I got a bit paranoid, you know, kind of, <laughs> oh my God, have you been following me around? Um, but, you know, I really, really liked it and decided I just wanted to do more. And then after I'd finished my diploma in counselling, I decided I was just going to do a one-year foundation course in TA so I could learn a little bit more about it. And the rest, they say, is history. I ended up doing another five years of TA training, and then, and then that was it. Then, you know, once I started the TA training, that was it. I was hooked. I was in. So, yeah. Um, I've been around for a long time now. Yeah. And so what got you involved initially in the world of counselling? So why did, what made you go into that? arena uh, it, was, it was a whole mixture of things but i was working in mental health at the time yeah primarily working in the community with people who were called as described as having severe and enduring mental health problems right. um but you know for a long time i'd sort of worked in, in health and social care settings so it, it was a mixture of that and of course a mixture of my own personality and yeah. you know all our personal history that brings us to it but um to be honest, I, I only started out just by doing a very, I decided I was going to do a 10-week introduction to counselling skills in case I said the wrong thing one day. And, uh, <laughs> and, then, um, and once I started, I was like, oh, I really like this. And was getting really, really good feedback from the tutors and just yeah, carried on. And um, by the end of that year, I, I decided this, this is for me. And I said that was 25 years ago, so... I definitely made the right decision. Fantastic. Awesome. And within the world of transactional analysis then, what would you say that your area of expertise is? Well, I guess I'm probably most well known for, for research and, and the research that I've done that's been investigating the effectiveness of TA. The other area that I think I'm probably known for in TA is for um, TA and depression. And I also, I, I, I write sort of, um, I, I like writing books that are based on on practice, you know, and, and how to be a better therapist and how to how to help people more efficiently and effectively. That's the sort of stuff I'm, I'm really interested in. But I'm also sort of expanding it a little bit beyond that at the moment. I've I've done I've done quite a lot of other little bits of research. I've done some research on TA and executive coach, coaching settings. I've done some stuff recently with a, with a, a TA therapist on. Um, the, the impact of, of TA training for people with dyslexia and then but um, where I'm going in, in terms of my own research is, is three different things one is on TA for trauma which is my current main project um, and then looking also at TA for anxiety and also um, TA group work so I've so got lots, lots of lots of irons in the fire I was going to yeah, say that's yeah. really broad yeah, and is that what rings your bells in terms of you, you like to kind of explore lots of different avenues? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get a bit bored, to be honest, with, with, with one thing. But, um, you know, that's just the nature of the beast, really. You know, that's people. You know, people are interesting. People are varied. But the thing, as I said, I'm really interested in is coming up with stuff that's really relevant to practice. And right. as, a, as a therapist, really, there are, there are about five things that, that – really make up about 95% of your work. One of them is depression, one of them is anxiety, one of them is trauma, and another one of them is relationship problems, and another one of them is is grief. Right. Uh, and uh, so those five things probably are most of your work. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work on depression, so I'm, I'm now working my way through through the list. So I'm tackling trauma and anxiety next. Wow. Very good. 
And can you talk to us a little bit more about uh, the research that does exist out there um, uh, about TA, or, or are, is the research that you've done the only research that really exists? No, no. There's, there's a there's a growing amount of research. That one. I mean, when I started, there wasn't very much. I was back in in around 2010. Um, there, there was only a little bit of research. See, the thing is with TA is that TA people have been really, really good at, at focusing on theory and not very good historically at, at getting stuck into research. But that, that sort of changed. There's been three people who primarily have, have, have sort of pushed this. So one of them is myself. The other one is Dr. Biliana Van Rijn, who's based at Metanoia Institute in London. And the other one is a guy called Dr. Enrico Benelli at the University of Padua in Italy. So... What I've done is my research has really initially focused on TA for depression and what it was doing was, was um, basically anal- doing a really detailed analysis of um, individual cases of people who had TA and I was trying to identify how effective it was in each case and what were the things that made the difference to the outcome, what things worked well, what didn't work so well and that kind of thing. And then... As a result of that, what I did is I got so much detailed information that I developed a treatment manual for TA therapies for um, how to work with depression. Now, it's not, a, it's not like a cookbook um, manual where you do this, this, and this, but it's, it's kind of like a broad creative guide to practice about here are some of the things that you might want to think about. Certainly, that's, that's the way I intended it to be written. Now, then, this was then taken up by um, the Italian researchers led by uh, Dr. Enrico Benelli, who've then just done a series of trials who've tested um, whether the, the, the manual is effective. And we can say very clearly that it is, that, that it is effective and certainly meets um, all criteria for being evidence-based therapy. Fantastic. Wow. Okay. There's a sort of parallel stream to that. Um, Dr. Dr. Bulliana Van Rijn at Metanoia, She's done some really interesting large-scale studies which have compared TA, person-centered counseling, um, integrative therapy, and gestalt therapy. And they've done done a sort of like head-to-head comparison to see how effective they are. Now, what's interesting about this is that she's looked at depression and anxiety. She's looked at all of these therapies, both in individual and group settings, um, and what they found is that they're all pretty much um, equal in effectiveness, but that they are all effective for, for treatment of anxiety and depression. Right. And the, the other bit of research that, that's been done that I was also involved in was looking at TA for PTSD. Now, the, the study I did was a, it was a fairly small-scale study, but it was, a, it was a massive paper that came out of it. It was a, myself and a former student called David Harford, who was based up in Scotland, and we had a look at the effectiveness of TA for some armed forces veterans who had really serious PTSD. Yeah. Um, now, it, it did show that it, it was beneficial, highly beneficial, but um, you know, it was a fairly small study, so it's been difficult to, to draw firm conclusions from it, but certainly it was heading in the right direction. And uh, you know, there was enough in there for me to, to follow this up with more research that I'm doing on sort of more general trauma that's not non-combat trauma yeah um, at the minute so so that that's pretty much it so what we can say is that we know that ta can be really effective for depression and also can be really effective for anxiety and also very likely be effective for trauma which you know given that i said that those are three out of the five biggies 
yeah. in, in terms of what people come to therapy for. I think that, you know, we're, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. And what is it that is distinctive about TA in particular that, that you think makes it effective, that motivates you to continue to pursue this? Do, do you know there's some really interesting features about TA that, that you don't tend to see in other therapies? And this was something that gets come out really quite clearly, in, certainly in my research. One of the things in, in TA is that we, we have a, a way of working that we encourage the client to be, um, it's a very collaborative way of working. We invite the client to be really active in their own therapy process. Yeah. And we develop um, not just a shared language, but a shared understanding of what the client's problems are, how they came to come into being, and what they need to do about them. And, and that's something that most of the therapies don't do. So that, that's something that, that always really inspires me about TA. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a word for all this stuff, it's called psychoeducation. And, yeah. and certainly TA is, is very, very good at you know, giving people bits of information that they can then go away and use in their everyday lives. Yeah. And, and it's fantastic for that. One of TA's strengths is you can learn about a concept and you can apply it immediately. Right. And, and again, that is something which is really unusual in the field of counseling and psychotherapy. And again, is one of TA's distinctive features. Um, right. Another feature of, of TA that I think is, is really relevant is that TA therapists are really generally quite active in the therapy process. Yeah. Um, we, we like to, to show our personalities. We like to be real, authentic and transparent. And, and people respond well to that. One of the things that we know from, from quite a number of, of different research studies is that that's exactly the sort of therapies that people want. So in a way, we're, we're providing people with, with, with what they're looking for anyway. Another thing that I think that for me stands out about TA is that as a, a body of work, it's incredibly versatile and incredibly flexible. And as a practitioner, it allows me to practice in a range of different ways that allow me to match what I'm doing to the person sat in front of me, whereas some other therapies are maybe a little bit more restrictive in how they work. In TA, we've got this huge flexibility. And I think that that's one of its great strengths. Great. That's a fantastic answer. Excellent. And, and so with regard to the state of the population and general mental health, what is it that you think makes TA important and relevant to today's scenario? Well, I, I think it's, it's very accessibility. That, that's one of the things right. that that's really helpful. So like in the, the psychological first aid workshops that I'm talking about, um, I just present some very, very basic TA models around ego states and help the participants to think about, okay, if someone's struggling with their mental health, they're probably in child ego state feeling quite scared. Their parent ego state is probably giving them a bit of a hard time and they're struggling to stay in their adult. So what we want to do is we want to try and help them get into adult and stay there. Right. Now, that's a very, very simple explanation. Yeah, but yeah. it gives people who are, you know, maybe in the moment stood with someone having a conversation thinking, oh, God, where do I go with this? That it gives them a little framework to think, right, okay, this is what I'm trying to do here. And, you know, it's that thing that if you know your destination, then you just got to work out the route to get there. And I think it's really useful for that. Another thing that t the, the two strengths as well, another two strengths of TA, TA's got a, again, a, a unique interest, not just only in what goes on inside people, 
but it also has really, we're really interested in what goes on between people yeah. and in understanding communication and developing relationships. Yeah. And that's something that, that is, is enormously helpful about TA. And again, in this sort of general mental health thing setting, we can think about, you know, how do we relate to people in ways that promote good mental health? And, you know, how can we understand and clarify the way that we're communicating, all that kind of thing. So I think that there's certainly huge, uh, huge promise in TA in terms of how we, you know, to, to offer the general public and, and to develop you know, mental health generally, I think. Yeah. And seeing as you're kind of an expert in the field generally, I wanted to ask if you think over the past 25 years where you've been working in the field, has there been a shift and a change? Do you think social media, which is often you know, cited as being a, an issue for, uh, around mental health, do you think the kind of current tech, technology basis of our lives has made a difference? Is that something that's real um, or is that just an urban I, I mean, you know, it's one thing that people often say to me is, you know, are, are there more people who are depressed now than, than they used to be? I mean, I don't know the answer to that. You know, people only come to see therapists when there's something wrong usually. Yeah. So, you know, it's difficult for me to say. I think one thing that is certainly true is that technology and modern life has moved quicker than we've been able to adapt to it. That, right. that is definitely true. Yeah. I think that whilst there's some fantastic parts and, and aspects to, to social media and technology use, that there are also drawbacks that we're not fully aware of and don't fully understand even now. So whilst yeah. I, you know, I think it's very easy to demonize social media and say, yeah. you know, point, point the finger at it as being the, the cause of all ills, but... You know, history doesn't doesn't turn out very well if we start trying to apply complex um, apply simple solutions to complex problems. Yeah, yeah, that's never gone well when people have done that. So whilst it's easy to say, "Oh, it's social media's fault," there's some truth in that statement, but it's also a lot more complex than that. For example, we know that people who are heavy users of social media tend to be more depressed. This is particularly true of younger people. Yeah. But it can, it's a chicken and egg thing, you know. You know, which came first, the the, the mm -hmm. depression or the heavy social media use? And we tend to find that the relationship is not as clear cut as you might think. And um, one thing that I think is certainly true, I think, is that if people do have, you know, insecurities and so on, which, you know, well, we all do, but, yeah. you know, whatever your insecurities are, that, that you'll probably find a, a particular vulnerability to them on social media. I mean, one of the things that social media highlights for all of us is um, social comparison. Yeah. In that, you know, if the, the way I always explain to this to people is, you know, the night where you're laid on the, on, on the sofa in your scruffy, tatty pajamas and it's chucking it down outside and you're eating a packet of crisps and feeling a bit miserable, that you can <laughs> guarantee that all your friends are going to be either at a party or on a beach in Thailand. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course they're not, but if you look at social media, it certainly seems that way. Yeah. And then what happens is then that getting encourages people to reflect on their own life and think, oh, well, maybe my life's a bit boring and crap and well, maybe I'm not good enough and everybody else is having a better time than me. And, and that sort of way of thinking is generally not helpful and, and you know, leads people into some not, not that useful places. 
Another way in which social media is not that helpful is that it's particularly good for, for what's known as confirmation bias, yeah. in, in that people will find information that confirms and validates their particular worldview, which isn't necessarily accurate to start off with. Despite, you know, one of the things that a lot of people do on social media is they get into your know, keyboard warrior arguments with random strangers about something. Mm. And, and what we know is that, that you know, the, the more strenuous the argument, the more likely people are to dig their heels in and develop a more entrenched position. So, right. you know, it's whilst on one hand, it's, it's this incredible tool for exposing us to diversity and a range of opinions. And, and in some ways, being able to, you know, access up pretty much any information that, that is known to humanity. In reality, what it tends to do is, is in, encourage people to just, uh, yeah, hunker down and, and, and stick, to, stick to what they know and develop more rigid ways of thinking. That's brilliant. Okay. And so uh, I'm going to explore this a bit more. If you were to have a client who came in who was using social media a lot and they were showing tendencies of depression or anxiety, would you give them, and not the word advice necessarily, but what would your uh, thoughts be around their use of social media? Would you encourage them to explore that or what's, what's your well, ideas with that? Okay, I mean, to, to, to be honest, Matt, I mean, that, that describes an awful lot of people I see anyway. Right. Um, I'm certainly not against giving people advice as and when, when, it's, when it's relevant and appropriate. You know, I think people are paying me for a professional service and they're paying me for a professional opinion yeah. that's based on, on, you know, 25 years of clinical experience and an awful lot of studying and, and understanding the research. So I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, it's not as easy and clear cut as to say, you know, I would tell someone to cut it down or whatever. What what I would do is I would encourage someone to look at how they're using it and what they what they're trying to do for it. You know, certainly one thing I you know invite people to do is to reflect and pause. One of the things with social media is that it does kind of encourage people to be very um, quick and reactive, mm -hmm. um, and to to just you know, respond without thinking. Um, yeah. And I'm sure, you know, there's an awful lot of people listening who've probably, um, I don't know, posted things which maybe half an hour later they've regretted and then they've gone and deleted it. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot of people do that, you know, when they've, let's just say, a little bit inebriated or something yeah. and then regret it afterwards. And I think so social media sort of does encourage that sort of that way of responding. So, you know, certainly what I would be encouraging someone to do is to, to think about that and slow, slow down a little bit, but really to think about how does it leave them feeling? Uh, might there be ways in which they can adjust how they're engaging with social media and technology in general that, that are healthier for them? You know, it's not just social media. I think the thing is, is that with, with, with modern technology, we are constantly bombarded yeah. by... Um, texts and notifications and things. And, and one thing I do intend to encourage most people to do is to reduce the number of notifications they get on the phone. Because the thing with them is, you know, as soon as a phone screen lights up and it makes whatever noise, people tend to pick it up and look at it. Yeah. And, you know, whilst that's, that's all very good and well, if there are too many of these, you can get a kind of information overload and, mm. and there's never any opportunity to switch off. And I think that that's, that's important. 
I might just encourage someone to, you know, why don't you just put your phone on, on silent for a couple of hours? Yeah. Um, you know, any, or, or on use the do not disturb function. Anybody who's really important will still be able to get through, but, you know, it just doesn't feel as intrusive. So little things like that I might encourage someone to do. That's great. As a parent um, and having had teenagers grow up in the world of, you know, mobile phones and all the rest of it, there's even some of the stuff you shared there is really good, helpful um, yeah. information. Yeah. Mark, we, we've also been uh, talking to Giles Barrow about the application of TA in, in education and Trudy Newton as well. And we intend on having an interview after Christmas with Marion um, Timmermans on the application of TA in organizational fields. Is there any research out there about the application of TA in these fields? There is, um, but I, I have to say it's not my area of specialism, so it's not something I've looked at too much. The, the, I know that the, these fields are relatively under-researched, and we certainly need a lot more, um, mm. but I, I'm not really able to say on that one, I'm afraid, John. Okay, no problem. And what about executive coaching? I know you mentioned earlier that uh, you've just been involved in some research about the effectiveness of... TA in, in executive coaching. Could you tell yeah, us that, that about been, that? Um, that was with some, 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 some TA um, organisational consultants based in Belgium called um, Mill Rosso and his son Rick Rosso. And, and they've, they've been doing these sort of like intensive coaching um, group work workshops for, for, for years. And you know, they, Mill in particular, he's been around for a long time. He knew that they, were, they developed a, a really effective package and he just wanted to capture that. So um, a few years ago, I did, I did research where we sent out an, an open-ended questionnaire, which basically invites people to just write whatever, you know, very open answers rather than yes, no answers about their experiences of this workshop. And what we found is that people who attended it said, you know, experienced quite a lot of personal growth and, and experienced that, what, what's known as improvements in their psychological well-being. So I've sort of followed that up with a, a, another study where we used a, a particular measurement of psychological well-being and a particular questionnaire called the, the RIF Psychological Wellbeing Scale. And that was given to participants before and after they attended the workshop and again at a follow-up a while ago. So what we wanted to see is, you know, were there measurable differences in the psychological well-being and did it last? And, and what we found, you know, just generalizing it down quite quite simply is yes people did experience an increase in psychological well-being and yes it did last there are lots of other things that we could have looked at but that was just a, a starting point but i think that you know it's certainly encouraging to know that you know these kind of coaching group work situations can definitely improve psychological well-being you know that's what a lot of people are, mm. are looking for these days yeah yeah, absolutely. Okay, Fantastic. thanks for that. Very interesting. So, for yourself, Mark, with transaction analysis, what is it that you would say that you most love about it? What is it that's drawn you to it? As I said earlier on, it's it's it's, it's flexibility and it's yeah. versatility. Those are two huge, hugely important things. And yeah. some of the models, I think, are so simple and elegant, and I I use them every day. The, the two in particular that I use the most are the, the concept of ego states and life script and you know every day as a therapist i'm using them they're yeah. so helpful and there's lots you know there's, there's lots of ways using 
one of the things I, I like in TA is we, we encourage people to just keep, you know, keep it simple. Now, I don't mean dumb it down. That just yeah. means not, not unnecessarily complicating things. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, I like that. Yeah. There are other things as well I like about TA. You know, one of the things I'll be perfectly honest about is I like TA people. Right. I, I like the TA community. Um, it's given me a great life, and I've met some amazing people who, um, you know, have been part of my life for a long time now, and I still keep meeting really great people. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that's really nice, I go to different bits of the world, I meet people, and it's like we're friends automatically because we've got this um, this shared interest mm. and this a shared set of values yeah. um, about which you know humanistic values about how people people's in trusting people's inherent growth tendency i suppose is a way of putting yeah it. yeah and also there's that shared language as well isn't there about absolutely absolutely yeah and so what do you think the reason is that because one of the reasons for this podcast is to expose the public more to transactional analysis what do you think uh, the reasons are that it's not better known because it's been around for a while now it has been around for a while. I mean, to be honest, I think a lot of this is, is really down to research. Um, right. I think, as I said earlier, that you know, TA people, we, we, we became quite insular for, for quite a long time. And, you know, we developed these fantastic international organizations yeah. and then just um, isolated ourselves a little bit while we, we got on and you know, developed our theory and did a really good, thorough job of it. Yeah. What we didn't do is... And, and these, this was also, uh, training is also done in terms of doing private training institutes in the TA world. Yeah. And if you contrast with some of the other types of psychotherapy, um, they're, they're done in universities where there's a lot of interprofessional discussion and dialogue and where these people are doing research. And yeah. we didn't do that in the TA world. Other therapies did. And so they were much more out there, much more externally facing than we were. And I think it's just that gap. That, yeah. that really is, is what a lot of this is about because when you know certainly my experience is when people are introduced to TA they love it they think yeah. it's really useful they find it helpful yeah. so it's not because the model itself is is unappealing because it most definitely is appealing yeah mm. and I guess that's part of your work and what you're doing has a, a big impact on that then I, I hope so I just want to get it out there because I, you know I see the benefits of it every day and yeah uh, you know it's 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 a shame to to not be able to access this fantastic tool that can, that can make such a difference to your own life and to other people's lives by extension yeah so yeah i'm i'm i'm, I'm all look for to, to sharing the love as it were yeah fantastic so outside of the ta world what are your interests in life what do you like doing tell us a bit more about yourself Oh, having a raucously wild time. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I like doing. Um, not, not all the time. I, I, I'm quite a bit of a, a home bird. A lot of, I mean, my husband like a, a lot of peace and quiet just at home by, by the truck, by ourselves. But we, we also like city breaks. We go away a lot. Yeah. Uh, we, we travel uh, yeah, right, frequently. And, and we go to different cities and, yeah. you know, sample the nightlife there. Yeah. Right. So favourite city. thoroughly and extensively, shall we say. What are your favourite places then? <laughs> I, th I think two favourites. It's difficult to say, and this changes a lot. Yeah. But certainly at the minute, I would say Berlin and Madrid Ooh. are favourites. Cool. 
All right, not been there yet, so yeah, I'm a big fan of Berlin. Berlin's great city. Great both, both are great cities, very different, in, and but both quite chilled and got a yeah, and got good nightlife. Great. In terms of what's going on in your life at the moment, what I mean, you talked about this project of working through the five main issues mm. within mental health. Any other uh, fascinating projects that you're working with? There's that, and also the, the psychological first aid stuff that I've described that I'm being yeah, doing. Which is, tell, which tell is, us a bit more about that then. I mean, really, this, this is just giving people some very basic knowledge about how to help someone who's struggling with their mental health. That's, that's really it. You know, and that might be somebody who's experienced something um, really difficult, such as something traumatic or experienced a bereavement, or it might be somebody who's depressed or anxious or has just split up the partner, whatever. You know, there are all sorts of things that go on in people's lives that, that um, impact on the mental health. And what I've kind of found over the years is people keep coming up to me and they say things like, oh, I had this conversation with a friend last night this is what I said, did I do the right thing? Um, right through to people coming up to me and wanting to chat to me because, for example, more than one person within the past 18 months has come up and said, um, oh, I talked someone down off a bridge last night. This is how I did it. Did I do the right thing? Wow. And so I recognised there was a huge need for really basic mental health knowledge uh, and, and skills out there. And, and there, there was an appetite for it as well. People Absolutely, yeah. People about this stuff. Yeah. People do want to help. People do want to say and do the right thing. And yeah. they're frightened because they recognise that it can have quite, quite bad consequences if they mess it up. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is actually, do you know what? If you're a kind, caring and decent person, you probably won't mess it up. Right. You know, if, if you show care and compassion towards someone, they will probably see that. And, yeah. and so what I've done is I've put together this one day training package um, on, on you know, basic skills and basic knowledge and, and you know, how, really how to get on with it. And, and that's what I've been, I'm sort of delivering on a sort of pretty wide scale across the northwest of England at the minute. Great. Sounds fantastic. Brilliant. Sounds and Mark, if people want to get in contact with you, um, what's the best way for them to do that if they're interested? If they they look on the University of Salford website, they'll be able to do a search for me and they'll be able to find my contact details. Or they can find me via the, the United Kingdom Council for Psychotherapy um register of, of, of therapists. Great. Excellent. Perfect. And Thanks so if, much. Is, if there was anything else that you wanted to add from this podcast that you'd like the public to know about transactional analysis, is there anything else that you've not said? Anything? It's fantastic. Do it. Great. I could be talking for, the, for about another three days on this, so I, I better just stop there. But, you know, it, it's, have a look at it. You know, the thing is, is that the very worst thing that's going to happen is that you come across something that don't really fit for you, but you've learned something interesting along the way. Yeah. You know, learn a little bit about it and then just put it into practice. Don't just take my word for it. See, does it work? Uh, yeah. You'll probably find that it does. Great. And um, you know, keep experimenting. Great. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for your time and for giving us uh, this time to quiz you and question you. I'm yeah. sure we're going to be inviting you back to uh, find out more about a lot of these projects that you're, um, you're working on. Thanks, Mark. So, uh, yeah, All right. Really Take care, guys. Nice speaking to you both. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. 
As always, if you found anything in today's episode interesting, please feel free to reach out. You can connect with us on all major platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email us at threepeopleinyourhead at gmail.com using the number three rather than the word. If you aren't already, please follow us on iTunes and Spotify and leave a review. Thanks for listening. Great, thanks, Matt. Sorry.